figured if I could sit in a room and have 20 year old people sit there and <laughs> critique my work and I could take it. And if they found anything of interest, you know, in a memoir written from the perspective of a privileged middle-aged widow, that, you know, I might have a chance. Welcome to the Crossing It Off podcast, where we believe living with intention through a bucket list lifestyle is a great way to bring yourself personal joy. As you are crossing items off your list, you're actually filling up your bucket. The more items you cross off, the more joy gets added, until eventually your joy spills over into the lives of those around you. Now let's start crossing it off together. How important for your bucket list or your life is it that you set an intention? Today's bucket list storyteller experienced profound loss and found herself questioning who she was and where she fit in the world. But after setting an intention, she didn't just cross one item off, she crossed off lots. She found her why and she put it to good use. Let's hear how she did it and start crossing it off. This time I want to introduce my bucket list storyteller, Debbie Weiss, and she describes herself as an author, a widow, and a former lawyer. Debbie, thank you for coming on the show. Oh, thank you for having me, Roger. Yeah. So my interest in uh, telling your story is that it's it's not necessarily one item that you've crossed off, but we're really going to talk about the intention that you had behind doing these things. So what was that intention that you set up to to accomplish when you decided, hey, I'm going to start living a life that's a little bit different? Well, um, my goal was to create a new life and find joy after my husband of 32 years died in 2013. Uh, is a tall task, I'm sure. And I'm, I'm sorry for your loss. And I'm, but at the same time, I'm also glad that you're looking at life through, through, a, through a different lens. So tell us, how did this all come to be? Where, was, where were you at, in the process when you decided, oh, I need to take a hold of my life and go find myself joy? Well, um, I married my high school sweetheart. Uh, we were together for 32 years. So I knew him since I was, well, I knew him since I was seven. Our parents wow. worked together and he was 11 and everything was fine. I became a lawyer. He was an engineer. And then uh, in 2009, he was diagnosed with cancer and um, we had a few good years, but he passed in 2013 and I was alone. We, we don't have children mm. and we had very isolated lives. I'm an introverted bookworm. At th- that point, I'd retired from practicing law about nine years prior as an insurance coverage lawyer. And I could just go days just alone. Mm. And I, I didn't really know how to live a life that wasn't sort of a shadow of my married life. What happened that, that you finally like stood up and said, okay, I, I don't want to do this anymore. I want to find something new. I want to find myself. What was the catalyst that prompted you to move in that direction? Well, it's probably about four months after he'd passed and I'd straightened out all the finances and we had a lot of deferred maintenance to our home and that was, that was going well. I looked pretty healthy from the outside. I walked a lot by myself. I had a, joined a gym. I was at a gym But again, I was so alone. And in the evening, I was sort of, I would sort of fall apart. You know, it was a small home. But when you're in it alone after a long marriage, the walls feel oddly claustrophobic. It's surprisingly quiet. So I would spend a lot of my evenings listening. My late husband was George to George's favorite albums and drinking Manhattans. And, you know, in the morning, I was a bit hungover. And then I'd get on with my day. And I realized... I couldn't spend the rest of my life this alone. I was going to have to do something. Did you seek out 
support in that process or was this just Debbie saying, I got to, I got to do this on my own. I'm going to grit my teeth and then go out and do it. Or were, did you have family and friends that were saying, yeah, get out there or no, it's too early. Or what was the reaction of the people around you? Well, that was one of the problems. You know, I didn't have a lot of people around me. I'm an only child. George was an only child. My father's an only child. When George passed, uh, there was his parents. And that was a little tricky. We'll go into all that. But he'd been in denial when he passed. So his parents weren't very happy with the way his death had handled. He's excluded them. And my father and my stepmother were having health problems. So I could go see them, but they couldn't be real proactive. Um, again, no kids, no no close friends. I mean, this was really bad. There weren't people around me. Uh-huh. That was kind of the problem. One thing that really did help me was that I had a, an excellent grief therapist. Mm-hmm. And she was very proactive. I remember her saying, go do something. And she would give me a chore. She would say, you know, one week, join a group. Another week, she'd say, you have to, when you go to your yoga class, you have to tell one person you're a widow. Mm. You know, she'd say, okay, think about one social activity you would try. And so that was, that was extremely helpful. But I just kind of picked up on my own. I was in kind of a limited suburban community and I just started joining a bunch of groups. And so what of that stuck that you said, you know, let's get to the things that you um, started doing. What were some of those things that really caught you in that process of kind of starting to reach out that you said, okay, I'm going to move in this direction? Well, I joined my local Rotary Club, mm-hmm. and I don't know that Rotary was really for me, but it was a very nice group of service-oriented individuals, and one night a week, we all went for dinner. So that meant I was putting on something besides sweatpants, not drinking, and you know, going and meeting new people. And uh, my late husband had a sports car. I planned to sell it. But the sports car guy, uh, the president of that sports car club, when I talked about who I talked to about selling it was so nice. And he said, oh, we do weekly breakfast. We have all these events. I thought, "Okay, I'm not much of a driver, but I can do this. So I joined the car club and they met for Saturday breakfasts. And usually there would be an activity after that. And, you know, again, um, Coops versus Cabriolets isn't my biggest strong point. But again, super nice people. I joined a yoga studio and there was a group of women, really friendly. The teachers were really nice. So that was kind of another community. There's yoga retreats. You know, you start to get to know people. And then I also picked up a writing class that I'd been taking before George got sick. Mm. And again, that was amazing because it gave me a purpose. I had things to write. And a few of the more intense people in the class, there's another fellow lawyer. So I guess he recognized a fellow maybe type A person (laughs) invited me to join their writing group. So two days a week, I had people to sit with and writing to critique. And all that was extremely helpful, you know, and I realized I actually enjoy talking to people and this wasn't really that scary. And through taking up that class, you decided that you were going to do what? I decided that I was going to write a book. Okay. And on the way to doing that, I decided other things. You know, I started blogging, which was interesting. It's kind of a virtual life. I decided to start sending out my writing to be published. So I did that. I was in some women's magazines and I was a Huffington Post blogger. And that was very helpful. I worked part-time at a bookstore, which was not a success. Um, I think their inventory (laughs) is probably still messed up from my trying to be on the computer. Uh, But I tried (laughs) And, you know, from there, I got into more intense classes and and working on a book. 
And you eventually, did you not get an MFA? I did. Thank you for asking. That's what I'm proudest of. Um, I was writing my book and I felt like it wasn't doing, it wasn't going as far as it should. And again, it's hard to work in a vacuum as a writer. You know, you you sit there and you look at the same words, but it's still your opinion. It's you in a room. Right. So I went back to, uh, I live in Northern California. I went to St. Mary's College of California in uh, Moraga, actually. And I went back with the kids and I earned an MFA in uh, creative fiction, creative writing in 2020. And I was, I was 56. Do you think that was a big departure from who you were before or is, or is that something that you'd always wanted to do? Or is, you know, how did that decision come about say, okay, well, I'm, I'm here. I might as well get this other masters. Well, you know, I really uh, wanted to work on my book and I wanted to work on it in an intense environment. Mm-hmm. In an MFA, you have a thesis and the thesis is usually a book that you're writing. And a lot of the MFA process is workshopping. And I figured if I could sit in a room and have 20-year-old people sit there and <laughs> critique my work and I could take it, and if they found anything of interest, you know, in a memoir written from the perspective of a privileged middle-aged widow, that, you know, I might have a chance. So I decided to do it. I was kind of leery of it, but it was fantastic because at the same time, um, I had something published that led to my teaching a writing class in the city. I taught some essay writing class, classes. I did that for a while. And I hired an editor for my book and I took it really seriously. And, you know, I made some friends and they were, it was really, it was really fun to be with a different group of people. Ha- having also gone through that process of going back and getting my bachelor's when I was 40, mm-hmm. uh, I understand that you stick, you the person that's non-traditional sticks out pretty well sometimes when you're sitting in the classroom. How was that for you going in this experience of finding your your new self? Was that beneficial to have all these young people running around you and talking to you? Or was that, did it make you feel old? I, I felt old the other day in the airport, um, start being a little curmudgeon about my, my surroundings. Did you find yourself there or was it energetic? Well, that's a good question. Um, some of each. You know, they're actually, the class ahead of me did have a couple women who were older than I was, probably uh, more like their late 60s who were getting their thing. And my class actually had a woman a little older than I was. Seems to be a thing we do after our first careers are over. But, you know, I really never felt excluded by the kids. Now, I didn't, you know, I only went to two tiki bar karaoke nights. I, <laughs> that's not me. But I went to a couple. Um, I do not sing. I, uh, and, you know, I really like the people and I didn't, I didn't feel terribly out of it. You know, I'm pretty comfy in tennis shoes and a backpack. You know, that was fine. Probably the hardest thing for me is that, um, you know, I, I went to law school, but I graduated in 1988 and I was 24, 25. So it was very hard to be like, you have to be here. Your, you know, your, your attendance is mandatory. You will yes. turn these things in. <laughs> you know, it's easy for me to turn in. You know, our thesis had only 70 pages and I had a full book by the time I was finished. But I wasn't very used to having to do something when I don't want to. Here at the Crossing It Off podcast, we are passionate about inspiring you in your bucket list lifestyle and empowering you to live out your list. We offer many resources to assist you in your bucket list journey, such as web resources in the show notes, bucket list mentoring services, my book, Live Out Your Lists, a private Facebook group for you to share your bucket list success stories with others, and more. All of these can be found at crossingitoffpodcast.com. Find the resource that fits your need so that you can live out your list. Now back to the show. 
yeah, college has changed a lot over the over the years, and there's uh, I freaked out because there was attendance. I'm like, really attendance? Yeah, exactly. And it was evening. You know, the class was kind of geared, I think, for kids to be able to work. It was a graduate mm-hmm. program. And, you know, at five o'clock, I'm kind of in my jammies and it's time for a glass of wine and into dinner. So evening classes for me were hard. That isn't how I naturally, I'm more of a morning person. Yeah. And it was like, I have to be here after dark. You know, what do you mean? <laughs> I don't even like to drive after dark, really. <laughs> Starting to do all these things and putting a new life together. How was that impactful for you? How did Debbie start seeing the world maybe in a different way than had she before? you know, there were so many choices. I mean, it was almost like graduating from college. But, you know, when I graduated from college, I joke that my generation was very middle-aged. We were the yuppies. So we wanted to get careers. We wanted to buy houses and, and, and cars and, you know, have savings. I think that's a really dated perspective. So it was kind of nice to have a lot of that behind me. Um, you know, I volunteered in class. I really didn't care. I mean, I've been to law school. I've I've been put down enough as an attorney. I really didn't care at that point. But what did help me very much was to see that I could do what I wanted. Mm. And when I was married, we kind of did what my husband wanted. And I was good with that. You know, he worked extremely hard. I'd retired at 40. I burned out on, on being a lawyer. So, But we did what he enjoyed. And he didn't want to travel. He loved cooking. On weekends, we would go to the city and buy ingredients and, you know, for fancy meals. And that's that's what he liked to do. Um, the kinds of movies he liked. Now was fine. You know, even our home, we had a pretty elaborate, always in process home theater system. He was an engineer. But what I realized is I didn't know what I liked to do. And so it was kind of being alone and losing him was devastating. But after a while, it was interesting to be able to think of, gee, what do I want to do? And how did that process work out? Was it just as simple as asking that question or were you doing activities to try to figure that out. How did, how did you make that transition? To be honest, I have anxiety. Mm-hmm. Um, my mom died when I was 10 after a brief illness. And that was very surprising. So I always stayed close to home. I'm an only child, had to keep an eye on my dad. Cause you never know when a parent might vanish, you know? So I married my high school sweetheart, became an attorney and settled into the same hometown And so when I started to move forward, I took very small steps. You know, it was like what groups were close to me that I could join. Um, I loved walking. So, okay, well, where are some walking groups? And ultimately that led to becoming a pretty avid hiker. And I joined some groups on Meetup and got a big group of friends from there. And then my weekends got a lot better because I wasn't alone. And, you know, if you're hating, hating Saturday, when you come home after a seven or eight mile hike, you're tired. You know, the television doesn't look that bad. And, you know, chatting with friends on the hikes, you know, all that was terrific. So it was really just for me, it was taking small steps forward and then going from there. You know, my writing class was once a week uh, very near me. And it's an adult education center with a bunch of lovely retired folks. For the most part, I was the youngest person in the class. But then from there going, okay, doing a writing group. And from there, I actually ventured into San Francisco on, on, on our local public transit and saying, okay, I can do these, I can take a workshop class in the city and I can, and then starting to submit and saying, well, I can, I can deal with rejection. That's lawyer. I can do that. And, you know, then from there writing my book and get, getting the MFA and hiring an editor and, and, you know, moving, getting it published and out there. So it was really a matter of starting really small as a cautious person and then scaling up. 
if somebody else found themselves in the same position you were, that you had lived this one life and now you kind of forced to, to create a new one, what's like one piece of advice that you would give them um, besides just do it, get out there and move on? What would be something that would be helpful for them to be thinking about as they were going to pursue that building a, a new life? Well, two pieces. My first advice is, you know, find out, it's pretty cliche, but find out what you like to do and then figure out how to do it with other people. Mm. At another level, I would say don't date too soon. Okay. (laughs) (laughs) And so I have to ask why. Well, I started dating 14 months after I lost my husband and that Mm. seemed a reasonable amount of time to me. You know, it's over a year. Um, At that point, I was much more put together. I was no longer, you know, on the living room floor with Manhattans and uh, the Rolling Stones. But I was kind of shocked at how terrible dating was uh, in 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 the in the internet age and online dating. And I, I think a lot of people, especially women, have said this. And I was kind of shocked uh, at the poor quality of the people I met and the experience and uh, all the the myriad unpleasant aspects. Yeah, I, I say I dated a lot of online apps. Yeah, <laughs> for a while, because it really was about finding the right app that would produce something you know meaningful for me, and where I could be someplace where I would find like-minded people. You get thrown into those pools of just millions of people swiping, swiping, swiping. It's it's not necessarily the wasn't the best thing for me for sure. So yeah, I was I dated a lot of apps before I found the one that that produced what I wanted. So yeah, it took yeah. me about five years. Wow. And how's, how's life been with a new partner since you've, you know, lost your first one of, of many, many years? How has that been the transition for you to, you know, knowing that you need to not be swallowed in by a, a relationship, but also need to be yourself in it? How have you coped with that and built that into your relationship process? Well, the five years, my partner's name is Randall. Um, the five years before I met Randall were hard because I was just shocked by the men I met. I mean, they were cynical. They lived in the past. They seriously had mommy issues. I started on J-Date and, you know, you'd think J-Date and mommy issues are a cliche, but it exists. Mm-hmm. In fact, I joke that, you know, when I wrote my book, which is called Available As Is, um, A Midlife Widow's Search for Love, I jo- you know, I wrote it to help other widows to create a new life. It's a memoir. But I joke that I wrote it about because to talk about the poor quality of middle-aged men. <laughs> um, finding Randall was, was great because we moved into things very slowly and he was super supportive. You know, I met him right before I took a trip. I was gone for three weeks uh, after we would, you know, we'd gotten together. And then I started my master's degree. So by then I kind of had a life put together and he was amazingly supportive. And, you know, after three years, we moved in together and I left my house that I lived in for 27 years that I lived in with George and kind of finally got rid of those pieces that didn't work for me anymore. So it was fantastic. But those first five years, I really was looking at, okay, how am I going to spend, enjoy spending the rest of my life as a single person? Because the prospects were so low. I get it. Yeah, I understand. Well, I'm excited that you've um, taken all these steps and moved forward. What's something else that you would like to add to that list of things that you're doing to find yourself joy? Oh, well, I have, I'm kind of done promoting my book. It was published. It's out there as an antidote to book promotion. Um, I'm starting yoga teacher training okay. next month. And um, 
I possibly will be writing another book, but not about me. I would be writing it about some other people. And it would just, it depends. It's a project that I'm collaborating with somebody on and we'll see if it works, but it would be very nice not to be inside my own head so much. (laughs) Yeah. Was yoga a part of your life before your husband passed, or is that something that you picked up in this process? Go to one or two classes a week. I was more of a weights and personal training kind of person. (laughs) But uh, after he passed, I really got into yoga. I just, the mental benefits are astonishing. And it does, this is probably cliche, but it does feel more like a way of life of how you think of things, how you react, even how you breathe. It's definitely good for your posture. And I know when I was um, going through my loss, evenings, you know, are the hardest time, at least for me as a widowed person. Mm. Because you're, di- you know, where's your dinner companion? I missed so much having someone to sit down to dinner with and say, how was your day? Mm-hmm. That's not something that's easy to fix. So I was doing evening yoga classes most days of the week. And there was a nice group of, like me, midlife single women. And they were really friendly. And they kind of folded me into their group. You know, I remember the very first Thursday night when someone said, well, we go for drinks after class. You come too. Mm-hmm. And from there, there were yoga retreats and other things. So it was really, it was a community for me. Do you have an attention of what you would like to see happen as you, if you become a yoga instructor, is there something like you're passionate about to say, I'm going to, I want to go, because teaching, you have to have a why (laughs) to teach anything. Um, So what would be that why for you as far as becoming a, a yoga instructor? Well, I love teaching writing and that's been super hard to do with the pandemic. So that's, difficult, but, um, you know, and I'm not sure I am going to teach. I'm doing this in part to deepen my own knowledge. And because there's a a studio in town, I really love the people. And I think it would be neat to learn more about it. But if I did teach, um, I always joke, I am not naturally real coordinated. (laughs) I I am not the person who can do the inversions and the fancy like crow crow to chaturanga to headstand is not me. Yeah. I have no idea what you're talking about. (laughs) Yeah. I always joke that I would want to teach yoga for klutzes. Okay. And, you know, I'm a little older, so yoga for older people. But I love the idea of combining yoga and writing. Hmm. So ultimately, that that might be something I would do just for fun, though. Not not promoting it the way I promoted a book. That that was painful. Yeah, it's tough. I know. So in that, where can people find you? Where can they get more information about you and possibly uh, check out your book? Well, um, the best place to find me is my website. Not surprisingly, it's called debbieweissauthor.com. My book is on Amazon and it's readily available to be ordered from your local bookstore. I've had a lot of support from a few local bookstores in my area. So I really think that's important. You can find me on Facebook. I'm Debbie Weiss. I'm also Debbie Weiss author. Instagram, Debbie Weiss author. And I'm never there, but I think I'm D Weiss writer on TikTok. I, I tried that too. But if you really want to find me, like I said, the best place is probably my website and and Amazon. My book's there. Awesome. I appreciate it greatly you coming and sharing your story and doing it so vulnerably. Uh, I appreciate that. I wish you all the best in your instructor classes. Namaste on that. Uh, you. you know, regardless of the outcome. And Debbie, thank you just so much for being here. Oh, thank you, Roger. I appreciate it. <laughs>